0: Hey, good morning, Calvary Chapel. Uh, We are in John chapter 13, studying the Upper Room Discourse. I'll start in verse 18 of John 13. We'll read uh, all the way through to the end of the chapter, and then I'll pray for you, for me, uh, for our time, and we'll, we'll study the Word of God. John chapter 13, verse 18. Jesus speaking here, he says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever, to, he, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, Where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow you have denied me three times Jesus I ask a blessing on this sermon I ask a blessing on all who are are watching it, are hearing it I I pray for uh, my mind and my soul as I teach it God I pray that we would have a sensitivity um, towards what's going on in this scene Uh, even as as, uh, one prepares to betray you uh, and the other unwillingly goes in, in much of the same direction. And Jesus says, we hear your command to love one another, as we hear your, uh, your voice say that you're going to be glorified and where, where you're going, the, the disciples couldn't follow at that time. All, all this, God, we, we want your Spirit's blessing on us so that we can understand what it is that you would teach your church today. Bless us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, amen. So in this passage, we've got Judas... And we've got Peter. And they're two very different people. Um, but they're also two people that, that find themselves walking in, in a very similar direction. And, and that's very sobering. Because we don't even put Peter and Judas in the same category in, in, in anything. You know, I always say, you know, we, we name our kids Peter. We don't even name our dogs Judas. You know, that's off limits. He's the bad guy. Um, so we see... We see Judas and Peter, and I want to talk about Judas here because he's, he's sort of a, an important character. Before I do, I'm going to um, just silence the phone over here because I, I feel like one of you guys is probably going to call me right now. Um, so that's off. Um, in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus is speaking. He says, I don't speak concerning of all of you. Um, what he's doing is he's leaving Judas out of that statement. And Judas is, and has been, an odd man out among the disciples. Actually, Judas, we believe, is the only disciple from Judea, the the southern part of Israel, the more wealthy, the more educated part. Um, Judas had money. That's probably why they trusted him with the money. They thought, oh, Judas has a mind for business. He's got that background. Judas Iscariot, he's from the south. And, And Judas had the money bag, so all the disciples trusted him. Which means, I mean, it says something about Judas that um, if you knew him back then and you walked with him and, and followed Jesus and Judas was with you, you wouldn't have thought he was a Judas. Uh, you wouldn't have seen him as the bad guy. Um, when when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, and we know from the other Gospels that they go around and saying, is it I, is it I? Uh, Which means they didn't all say, well, yeah, obviously, Jesus. It's Judas. Have you seen that guy? He's got shifty eyes, you know? I don't trust him at all. Judas was trusted. All the disciples trusted Judas. Judas was influential. We saw this uh, in a negative way at the anointing at Bethany, where Mary takes the, the costly perfume and she breaks it, and she anoints Jesus' feet and washes his feet with her hair. And... In one gospel it says Judas rebuked her and, and he made a fuss and he said, well, you know, we can't, uh, we should have sold this and, and given it to the poor. But in the other gospels it says all the disciples did. All the disciples joined in, which shows that Judas was leading the disciples in their thinking and they trusted him. Now even at this feast, okay, this, this meal they're having, a the very important meal, Jesus had just washed their feet uh, later on, he's, he's giving them you know, their, their new commandment to love one another. Um, he's, this is the, the setting where um, Jesus institutes the, the new covenant, the, the, the blood and the, the body that he gives the disciples in the form of, of uh, bread and wine. And so it's, it's kind of a big deal. Judas is sitting next to Jesus that whole time. Judas is sitting next to Jesus. When he dips the bread and gives a piece to Judas, Judas is able to whisper something in Jesus' ear. John is on one side of Jesus. Judas is on the other. Judas was trusted. He was thought of highly. He was influential. Uh, He was a ranking member of the disciples. And and throughout the Gospels, when we see Judas earlier on, we see these... um, these lesser sins, and, and by that I mean, of course, it's it's lesser than selling Jesus. It's it's less that lesser than the the betrayal itself. Um, he would steal from the money bag. No one knew until later. Um, he discounted worship. He criticized worshipers. and that and his big sin, which is turning Jesus over to the chief priests to have him crucified. His big sin was the culmination of these lesser sins theft and mockery now we read in scripture that satan entered judas now he had already put a an idea in judas's heart but then satan himself enters judas and i want you to be aware of this this truth satan demons cannot be caught like a cold okay it's not like you accidentally find yourself demon possessed that doesn't happen um it it's a culmination of lesser sins leading up to an openness for evil and judas arrives in this chapter and and later when he betrays the son of god with a kiss he arrives there but he had been traveling a long way he had been heading in that direction for a long time um and it's always an important question to ask yourself, where are you headed? What is your trajectory? because where you are now is not where you're going. You are not standing still. Um, your decisions that you're making now, your behaviors that you're you're displaying right now, um, these are taking you places. And even if you can say, well, I'm not Judas, I'm not there yet, but you might you might resemble Judas then. You, you might be making the same same decisions as, as early Judas, and you think that that's not going to lead you somewhere. You, you know, I've, I've talked on this before, I believe it was when we were in Ephesians, or maybe James, um, uh, about compasses. And, and we've, we've talked about this before, where if you if you take a long trip, and your compass is off by one degree, you do not end up at your destination. You end up a very, very far way away. And and Judas had been making these decisions for a long time, and now he has arrived at where he was headed. So you always have to ask yourself, where, where are you headed? What's your trajectory? Now in verse 18, Jesus says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Uh, if you look back at verse 10, Jesus said, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So he's already been identifying the, the problem, saying there is a problem here. Judas is a problem. Judas is not clean. And and we know that, obviously. Um, but Jesus is stating this emphatically on multiple occasions here at the, in the upper room um, by by. And in doing so, he is stating that he is in charge. He is in charge. He is not surprised. He even says, I'm saying this, that the scripture may be fulfilled. Um, And now Jesus, who is heading towards the cross, acts against his own temporal self-interest for the sake of scripture. Um, Jesus has included Judas this whole time. Knowing, of course, that even Judas has a part to play, but that does not redeem Judas by any means. He, he takes Judas in as one of the disciples. Um, he washes Judas's feet. Now, none of this is a good idea if saving his life is the one goal, but we know he who saves his life loses it. If you lose your life for Christ's sake, you gain it for eternity. But Jesus has acted against his own self-interest for the sake of Scripture, and, and while um, we won't be in the exact situation Jesus finds himself in now, we can follow him and follow his example by loving our enemies, because loving your enemies is never going to be in your own self-interest. I mean, now you, you hear this everywhere. You know, you need to cut out toxic people from your life. You can't, you can't have those people in your life because they're not what's best for you. Tell that to Jesus. Who does he hang out with? You. And me. Toxic people. And he spends time with these people. And and if you're not convinced that you're that bad, you're not convinced with Paul that he is the least of saints, the chief of sinners, then you can see that Jesus hangs out with Judas. Now, the, the passage he's quoting here is Psalm 41, verse 9, where... David prays, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And when David... David prays a lot of things that that are best applied to Christ. David prophetically prays about the Christ. But we see in David's life, this is true. This isn't some metaphysical prophecy that would one day only be fulfilled in Jesus. David knew what it felt like to be betrayed. Saul... The king, King Saul was a father figure to David. In fact, that's what David calls him. He calls him my father. David respected Saul, loved Saul. He ministered to Saul in his weakest place and Saul threw spears at him trying to pin him against the wall. Then drives him out of the city and David is a homeless man living in caves for a number of years running from Saul. The one he, who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Um, you can, you know, we, we've seen this in our study in, in 2 Samuel uh, earlier in the year. We've seen this with, with Joab. Uh, David's um, cousin, or actually nephew, was uh, uh, his general and he doesn't follow David's orders and kind of betrays him. Uh, not a, a trustworthy guy. Absalom, David's own son, betrays him and tries to take the kingdom from him that happens again with another son and Adonijah later on and so David knew exactly what it felt like to have a close friend someone you trust someone that should have your back turn on you and and David prays about this and Jesus prays about this and says I have I have had Judas here with me in order to fulfill this scripture so that I not only can go through with all these fulfillments of prophecies, but so that I can know and experience exactly what it feels like to have a friend betray you. You know, we read in in Hebrews that he is uh, uh, has been been made a brother to us, who is not ignorant of you know all our besetting sins, and we follow Jesus in how he's behaving right now by loving our enemies. Judas proved to be an enemy, but he had been a friend. No one suspected him. No one suspected him. You look at verse 22, and the disciples look at one another perplexed about whom he spoke when he says, one of you will betray me. You know, you look at at verse 28, and even after Satan entered Judas, and Jesus says to him, what you do, do quickly, verse 28 says, no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Judas had been a friend. He had been trusted. He had been Loyal, Jesus has washed his feet, and now he's eating with him. Eating means fellowship. There's implied loyalty. There's the implied, the the rules of hospitality. You know, if you take someone into your house, if you eat with them, then you're responsible for their life. Judas is eating with Jesus. Jesus says in verse 19, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verse 20. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives, whomever I send, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. Now this first part is Jesus saying, I I know what's going to happen. I don't want any of you to think that I was caught by surprise. I want all of you to know that I am in charge here, which is going to be hard for them to believe when they see him arrested and beaten and tortured. And crucified, and buried. It's very difficult. It would be very difficult for any of them to have, to, to maintain this idea that Jesus was somehow in charge. But he's saying exactly how it's going to play out. And he says, I'm telling you this so that when it happens you may believe that I am he. He's still tending to their weak faith. He's building their faith. Now, faith is necessary for these who will be sent and jesus is preparing them for sending as well he's saying i I want you to believe that i am he and i want you to know that the ones i send are receiving me now he's going to be sending these ones these are the disciples soon to be apostles the sent ones and he says he who receives me receives him who sent me now he said this many many times in public to the disciples and at other times but it's this shared authority he says i have the authority of the father and the father sent me and i have his authority I want you to know that I'm the one from the Father. It's going to matter to you. You know why? Because I, the one with all the authority, am also sending you. And you will have the authority that I give you. And when you see the other ones that are sent by me, you need to know that in receiving them, you're receiving me. This is shared authority. Jesus is completely in control here. Now, back in, um, you know, uh, chapter Chapter 12, he was saying that his his spirit was troubled. We've seen that Jesus is, is um, anxious, for lack of a better word, about the cross that's coming up. But he is not just a puddle of his own emotions here. He is teaching the disciples about authority and faith, and he is reaffirming in them the, the conviction, the belief that he is the Son of God and he is in charge here. He's in control. When Jesus had said these things, He was troubled in spirit, there it is again, and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now you look back at at 27 of chapter 12. um, He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus is under an immense amount of stress. And, and of course, that gets mentioned and talked about mostly when we go to the garden, right? The garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, again, about that cup being able to pass from him, but not his will, his father's will be done, and Jesus sweats great drops of blood. And we talk about the stress then, because you've got to be really stressed out for that to happen. Um, but what you have to realize is in the upper room, which, you know, in all the... the, the televised accounts of christ which i'm never such a fan of you know jesus is eating with his friends and he's you know maybe slightly worried but mostly he's trusting and he, and he's happy to eat with them and he's giving them bread and wine and communion and everything like that but what you have to realize is in that upper room christ is completely in charge completely in authority completely knowing what's happening but also under an immense amount of stress. The stress didn't happen just after he left the building and walked across the creek and started praying at, at the, the garden. He is under the stress now and it builds up so much that he sweats great drops of blood later on. He is troubled in his spirit. That speaks of this immense amount of pressure, emotional and psychological pressure that is affecting him physically. It, you know, you, you can imagine Jesus at this point, hands shaking, Maybe blinking away tears, okay? Shortness of breath. He is experiencing immense stress and pressure. But he says, I'm telling you how it's going to go. I'm telling you, disciples, what's going to happen. Because you need to know that I'm going to look weak. I'm going to appear defeated. But you have to know, because I'm telling you how it's going to go at the front end here. You have to know that I am completely in charge. And we, we believe that. We believe that the Jesus on the cross is the creator of the universe and the savior of all mankind. We, we believe that Jesus went there willingly. He said, I lay my life down that I may take it up again. He is completely in control, fully aware, but also fully present, experiencing the full brunt of his friend's rejection and the anticipation of the pain that's, that's, that's coming. He felt the pain of having someone close to him turn on him. And he felt the stress of of death row, essentially. He felt the stress of the the coming passion. And and it's in this little section here that we see once more what John has been displaying to us since chapter 1. It is a person who is fully God and fully man. Since chapter 1, that's what John has been writing about. And here we see a, a God who knows I am He. He knows this is how it's happening. He knows the hearts of all the people around Him. He can tell the future. But He also feels pain as a human, as a man. The disciples are confused about this idea of betrayal. And verse 23 says, Now there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Uh, we'll do verse 25 as well. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Um, this is uh, John's pen name, okay? uh, John's pen name is the one Jesus loved. And so John is on one side of Jesus. They're reclining at the table. They would eat at these low tables, um, for these meals. And John is kind of in front of Jesus on the one side, on the front side of Jesus, and he's leaning back. And that's where John is. Simon Peter isn't nearby. He's, he's within, he's somewhere where he can catch John's eye. And motions to him and says, what's he talking about? They've got their buddy sign language and everything like that. And then John just leans back and asks Jesus, who is it? Um, but it, it's kind of fun knowing that this is John and not someone else because of the, the little uh, nickname there. It's Charles Spurgeon, he writes on this. He says, we know that it must have been John for many reasons, but still he does not say so. He hides John behind the love of Jesus which proves that John gloried in the love of Christ, but did not boast of it egotistically. And and I like that, um, because he doesn't put his name everywhere and says, you know, this is a book about John, this is a book about the, the best disciple there ever was, um, but he does say, I am the one that Jesus loves. And you know what? You can say that. That's okay. That's not ego. You can hide your identity behind the love of God the same way that John does. But John is there, and... um there's, there's a lot of conjecture made at this point about the seating arrangements, okay? Um, and, and, you know, where you sit matters. Um, there's better seats and there's not so good seats. At this feast, Judas and John got the best seats. Jesus is surrounded by John and Jesus right there. That's, that's pretty incredible. Now, remember, before the foot washing, the disciples were arguing about who got the best seats seats, or who is the best. Sorry, I, I got ahead of myself there. They were arguing about who was the greatest. And so Jesus washes their feet. And the way um, the seating arrangement would work is uh, you would have, um, again, that the best seats next to the master of the feast. And Jesus says, I am, I am Lord. You call me teacher and Lord. So he's definitely the guest of honor. Uh, but it would have been customary for the host, the one sitting closest to Jesus, to have a sword, because he was taking the responsibility of keeping all of his guests safe. It was more of a uh, customary thing rather than you know any, any real threats or anything like that. Um, but then at the end, I'm just jumping ahead right before they you know they, they cross the brook Kidron and go to the the garden. When Jesus asks if they have a sword, they have two which means there was someone with a sword who was in that role, potentially, and then someone else with a sword that was maybe expecting to be in that honored host role and wasn't. And the only person we know who ever held the sword was Peter. So uh, there's this conjecture, and really that's what it is, that Peter went into this expecting to be the guy that sits the closest to Jesus, and instead it's Judas and John. But here, John is signaled, and uh, Peter motions to him to ask. They ask him, who is it? Like, we want to know, who is it? And we know from the Synoptic Gospels that they actually went around the table, and the disciples are asking, is it I? Is it, is it me? Am I the one who's going to betray you? And what we don't have is Jesus saying, no, it's not you. Nope, it's not you. Nope, it's not you. It's you. Duck, 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 goose. Um, that's not what he does. Um, but everyone is wondering in his heart, is it I? Do I have the potential to betray Jesus? Peter's sure that he doesn't. And it's Peter who, with Judas, will. Now in verse 26, Jesus answered. He answered John, not the whole table. John leaned back and said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, Is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it? And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Sharing food is kindness, especially in in these uh, Middle Eastern cultures. Sharing food is hospitality. Um, It is love. And Jesus extends this love all the way to Judas. Jesus offers unity to Jesus to, uh, to Judas. You know, eating the same bread, dipping bread with someone and giving it to them. You're eating. I take a bite of the bread. You take a bite of the bread. Now the same bread is in both of us. We are we are one. And Jesus extends that kindness to Judas. Now Judas is not saved. He has Satan in him rather than the Holy Spirit. But we must believe in a gospel that extends grace even to the worst of sinners. I mean, this is what Paul would preach. And not just about other people. Paul would preach this about himself. Saying early in his ministry that he was the least of the disciples. And then growing in his awareness of his sin. Later on, he'll write a letter and and call himself uh, the least of all the saints. But at the end of his life, when Paul had had to live with himself for his whole life, he calls himself the chief of sinners. The chief of sinners. says, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And we must believe in a gospel and then respond to this gospel and then spread this gospel that goes to the worst of sinners and extends grace towards them. Now, in verse 27, uh, it says, After the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus said, What you do, do quickly. Um, now, if you look back at uh, verse 2, it says, After supper being ended, or being in progress, we talked about that, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So, th- there, there was the idea already to betray Jesus. He's stewing on this. He's thinking about it. He's thinking it's a pretty good idea. He's wanting to do it. This is malice aforethought, right? You know, it's murder versus manslaughter. It was an accident versus the crime of murder where there's, um, you know, the the, the motive and the drive and and the hatred there. Now, in, in Judas versus Peter, think about this. Peter will betray Jesus. He'll deny him. He won't betray him to his death, but he will deny Christ three times. And and the two of these men have a remarkable number of, of similarities. However, this is a notable and encouraging difference between the two. Judas chewed on this thought of betraying Jesus, and it was sweet to him. He liked it. He wanted to do it. Peter finds sin so repulsive he lifts his voice and says i'll never do it not me i'll die for you and you know what he's wrong and he's weak and he is powerless against his flesh without the renewing of the holy spirit and so are you but a great difference between peter and judas is how that sin tasted when it when they were turning it over in their mind Judas was thinking about it and didn't reject it. And he thought about it some more. And he thought about it some more and he said, that's good. And then Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. He says, you've already done it, essentially. What you do, what you act, your thoughts are the, the, the seed of your actions. So then, you know what? Just go do it. Just go do it. Peter considered the sin of betraying the Lord and found that repulsive. He couldn't stand it. He hated that sin he and and as as Peter falls into the sin that he hates, you know he could preach from Romans seven saying, "I do exactly what I don't want to do." Judas couldn't say that. Judas did what he wanted to do. Now Paul says there there was a way of escape. there's always a way of escape there's no temptation. he says that has overtaken you except that which is common." to man there's a way of escape so find it and run that's the way we we view sin okay we see it as something that is is um avoidable something that that there is a way of escape where we can we can get out of this and i think that was even true of judas prior to the possession but then now satan enters him and he's made his decision he did not take the way of escape. I think the way of escape could have been the kindness of Jesus in washing Judas's feet. Don't you think there was an opportunity for repentance there? And, you know, that Jesus is one of a kind. There can only be one Jesus. And he, he, he knew that his cup that he had to drink could only be drunk by him. There would, no, there would be no salvation without Jesus. But you know what? Judas is replaceable. <laughs> if Judas had repented, it's not like the gospel would have fallen to bits. God has a whole lot of filthy, rotten sinners to choose from to betray the Lord. But Judas didn't take his way of escape. And he goes out into the night... Now it's interesting, one more thing in verse 27. It says, After the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. There are two people in verse 27 that could be referred to as him. There are two people to whom Jesus could be speaking here. And the clearer, simpler, normally understood version is Jesus is talking to Judas and saying, Judas. Just go do it. Do the sin that you have harbored in your heart for so long. But it says Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. And I do believe that it is possible now that Judas is literally demon-possessed. That Jesus, who has authority even over Satan, tells him what you do do quickly. Now in in speaking with Judas, Jesus is confirming him in his sin, but that's after showing him kindness, love, and washing his feet. Now Judas is gone, and the tone of the the meal, the, the evening, shifts a little bit. In verse 31, it says, Now when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Glory or glorified shows up five times in two verses. Things are moving fast. Judas is on the move. The cross is close, and Jesus calls it glory, 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 glory. And he had said this before. We've been we've been watching him talk like this. You know, we've been we've been seeing that that jesus has known the time for his glory has been coming just chapter 12 verse 23 says uh, jesus answered them saying the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified and then he talks about a seed falling to the ground and dying in order that it would bear much fruit and now as it's as it's getting closer and moving and moving and moving he mentions glory in more than every sentence Things are moving fast, and Jesus knows that the cross is where the glory is. In verse 33, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. And Jesus begins saying his final goodbyes. He says, I'm going soon. I'm going soon, and there's some things I have to say. Now, in true pastoral form, he takes five chapters to say goodbye. Uh, this this verse right here is Jesus saying, in closing, and then we keep turning the pages and he keeps talking, and we're glad that he did. Uh, John, you know, John the Apostle, he gets his shepherd's heart from Jesus here. Jesus calls his disciples little children, and that's how John will address the church later on. Jesus gives them a command that is simple enough for a child and deep enough for an apostle to continue in their whole life. And that one command is love one another. Love one another. Love one another. This is is theology that you can teach in in the smallest Sunday school classroom. Teach your kids this. Hey, love each other. Love one another. Love the people in your family, in your church family. Love people. Love your enemies. Love one another. And then you can go to seminary or whatever, I don't know, and, and read all the big books and, and study the Bible and, and learn Greek and learn Hebrew. And, and this lesson to God's children will still be deep enough to, to dive into, um, to to model your life around, this command is is enough for you to pay attention to, uh, and not lose track of. It's love one another. And He addresses them as little children because it's simple enough for children, and and because Jesus um, loves them like children. And it's interesting, you know, it's, we're. And this is the second Sunday of Advent, and I'm not doing Christmas messages so much. I will uh, next week. But um, one of the Christmas passages that you see on uh, Christmas cards and and is preached on frequently around Christmas is is from Isaiah, where it says, Unto us a a child is born, unto us a son is given, um, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father prince of peace now we know that the child that is given is christ the lord okay the child that's given is jesus of course but one of the names of jesus is everlasting father now that's not to confuse the the members of the trinity jesus isn't his dad okay that's not how that works but jesus has the father's heart And he comes to these disciples and calls them little children. And he teaches them the kindergarten lesson of Christianity. Love one another. And he tells them a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Uh, This is the identifying characteristic of a Christian. Um, It's not your enthusiasm in worship. Uh, It's not your humanitarian efforts. Um, It's not the good deeds that you do, per se, though love should uh, produce good deeds, of course. Um, It's not even your love of those in the world, you know? It's your love of other Christians. It's how you wash the feet of other Christians. People will know that you are a Christian by the love that you have for your church. What? For the people in your church. They are going to be people that you genuinely want to spend time with. They are people that you are going to want to talk to and pray with and share with, and give to, and bless. They're the people that you want to wash their feet. That burden of love that we talked about last week, that's like a debt. You know, the the burden on your shoulders, I have to love these people. That's the attitude that you have towards other believers, and that is your message to the world, that you're a Christian. Um, Tertullian was one of the first... Uh, Christian apologists you know, making a defense for the faith in the early church. And he said one of the best things was that uh, the, the pagans, uh, all the, the non-believers in the world noticed one thing about the Christians. They said, see how they love each other. And that was a mark of the church in the first centuries. And, and it ought to be still. He says... They'll know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, at the beginning, of course, I asked where you headed. You know, Judas, he's, he's on the wrong path. Judas has a bad trajectory. Judas, uh, when he was caring very little for worship and caring very little for worshipers and caring a lot about money and not a lot about people. These are smaller sins. The theft and the mockery that we see in Judas led him to satanic possession. And it led him to betraying and, and, and turning in the, the, the Son of God. That was the trajectory. Now, Jesus says, they're going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and I could ask, and maybe you should ask yourself, "Well, do people know now? Do people know you're a Christian because of your love for other Christians? Do they? Um, Answer might be yes, answer might be no. But let me ask you another question. What's your trajectory? Where are you headed? What are you doing now? What habits are you doing now so that in a year, people know that you're a Christian because you love other Christians? Now this, of course, there's foot washing, but this, this can be fulfilled and obeyed in the simplest of ways. Are you reaching out to other believers and serving them? Are you? Are you spending time with them? Are you talking with them? Are you worshiping with them? Are you praying for them? Are you asking them, how can I pray for you? Now, even just examine your own heart, even on an emotional level, though emotions are deceptive, but they can be a good um, barometer. They can be a good, you know, test to see like where your heart is or has been. How do you feel about other Christians? How do you feel about the people in your church? Um, seek out these relationships and develop them because it is your love for other people in your church, other Christians that will identify you as a believer. Love one another. Wash each other's feet. Um, you know, uh, I lost my place entirely. Oh, let's do verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Now, Jesus has already told Peter something similar. He, he, he already told uh, Peter, You don't understand what I'm doing now, but you're going to understand later. But Peter doesn't like the idea of later. He likes the idea of right now, please. Um, but this question Peter asks out loud. He's not very close to Jesus. Everyone was thinking it. Everyone was thinking, Where are you going? Peter's the one that loudly asks it. And, um, Jesus, uh, says, well, it doesn't matter where I'm going, you can't come for now, but just wait and you will where I'm going. You can't come, but later on you will. And Peter is unable to accept this answer from Jesus, just like he was unable to accept the foot washing thing earlier on. He's learning a lot this evening. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you Now? I will lay down my life for your sake. So I think Peter began to understand, at least a little bit, where what Jesus was saying. Jesus was going to suffer, and he thought that Peter couldn't handle it. And Peter takes offense at that and says, oh yeah? Yeah. Now, Peter says, I can go anywhere you can. Now, if you look back at verse 9 in the foot washing, after Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And he, he gave the master a command. And, and this is Peter again offering to do more than your master asks of you. He's, uh, that can still be disobedience. You know, offering to do more, doing the big thing, and saying I can do this, I can do the best, I can, I can be better. That can still be disobedient. Just let me wash your feet, Jesus says. No, Lord, my head, my feet, do more. Jesus says, no, you don't you don't get it. Just let me do this. I'm the master. This is the only thing I want you to do. Just sit there and let me wash your feet. Jesus says, love each other. This is what I I'm calling you to do this right now. I'm being very specific. I'm not using big words. I want you to love each other. No, Lord, don't leave me with the Christians. I'll follow you. You say you're going and we can't come, but I can. Like, I can cut it. Please don't leave me with these people at this table. Um, I'll I'll follow you. Where I'm going, you cannot come. No, let me die. I'll, I'll die for you. I didn't ask you to die for me. I asked you to love people. Later on, in the same evening, Jesus says, Watch and pray. Peter says, well, no, I can't do that. I don't, I'm don't. i not interested in watching and praying, but I will chop off that guy's head. Whoops, missed. Only got his ear. I'll fall asleep during the thing that, I, that you've actually asked me to do, but I can do so much more. You just don't understand all my potential, Lord. You know, Jesus can call you to great things. I'm not saying that he can't. I think that he will. He can call you to do those great big things. But what he has called you to do is love one another and watch and pray and wash each other's feet you know first Thessalonians 4:11 it says aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and work with your own hands Peter didn't like the quiet life thing he, he thought he was ready he thought he was ready but he, he wasn't he couldn't die for Jesus until Jesus died for him he couldn't in verse. 38, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Now, other the synoptic gospels say all the other disciples agree. They said, Oh, yes, of course we would. Absolutely, yes. Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, Jesus knew uh, that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would fail him. He he knows that you would fail him. So what's the difference? Well, one, again, is kind of the difference between murder and manslaughter. Judas tasted sin and it was sweet, and he followed that path. Peter resisted sin, but the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Now God offers, often, sorry, God often delivers us from the sins that that we we lean towards. But a big difference between Judas and Peter, and I want you to be encouraged here because this is a big difference between Judas and you as well. You have the potential to be Judas. I do too. We have the, the sin in our hearts that leads us to terrible places, but there's a big difference between you and Judas. And it's not just that you're not as wicked, and it's not that you like good things and Judas likes bad things, and... It's not, that's not it. You you have a wicked heart. But I want, I want to tell you the difference. Luke 22, verse 32, Jesus tells Peter this. He says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And I think the most important, not the only difference between Judas and Peter, they're very different people, But the most important difference between Judas and Peter, both of whom failed Jesus on this night, is that Jesus prayed for Peter. This leads you to the application which is very clear. You cast yourself on the mercy of your intercessor. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Okay? Jesus... He calls you to the same things that he's called these disciples to. The simple things that are too hard. Love one another. Wash each other's feet. Just do that. That's all i would asked. Just the simple things. And we try bigger things and fail at those and fail at the small ones too. But the, the most important thing about Peter is that Jesus, whose prayers are answered... Prayed for Peter. And I want you to take hope, take encouragement that Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for you, has prayed for you as well. And if Christ has prayed for you that you're going to make it, then I want you to be confident in this. You're going to make it. Cast yourself on the mercy of your intercessor. And be grateful for the, the small, big things that he's called you to. Simply Love one another. Let's pray. Jesus, we can do nothing apart from you. We have nothing apart from you. Our goodness is nothing apart from you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your tenderness and your mercy uh, to the disciples, to those uh, who are weak in the faith, even those whose, whose spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and we find ourselves in that camp so often. We thank you for having mercy on us. Lord, we pray that we would would hear you. We pray that that we would understand this simple command to love one another. And Jesus, we ask that, uh, that in obeying this simple thing, you would be with us, washing feet, serving others, loving the saints. Bless your church in Jesus' name. Amen.